Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. And before us, you heard Sally with Out of the Pan, with which you can check out 12 till 1 every Sunday. And yeah, we're back after a bit of a break, our first week back. And we've got um, joining us today, um, we've got Harley joining us from the UK, who's been active with Animal Rebellion over there and, and brought us great, great, lots of great interviews last year. And, and thankfully, we'll be doing that again this year. Thanks for joining me, Harley. Thank you for having me. And I am Nick Pendergrast um, as well on the show today. And what we're going to be discussing is a, a range of topics. We'll see what we get to, but we will probably cover, we'll definitely cover cultured meat um, or lab-grown meat. There's lots of different names. I think clean meat is another, uh, another name that's floating around. I think there's lots of different names to try to give it a more positive spin for those advocating for it and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's maybe why lab-grown meat is maybe moved away, kind of like the Frankenstein kind of image or something. So that seems to be a term that's sort of fallen out of favour a bit in recent times. Um, but, yeah, we're also going to be talking about um, freeganism as well uh, on the show, uh, which is... Yeah, all about uh, dumpster diving and, and reusing things that would otherwise go to waste and maybe how that is either compatible or incompatible with veganism and, and animal liberation, those kind of issues as well. Um, so we'll probably hit at least those two. We'll see if we get on to some other things at the end. We'll see how we go. Um, but I guess to start things off... Um, yeah, maybe with you, Harley, we can sort of just give, I'm sure a lot of listeners are aware of it already, but like what cultured meat is exactly... Yeah, so this will test my, my scientific <laughs> knowledge. Um, so I think the very basic version, which is about all I know, um, is that cultured meat is animal protein which is grown in lab conditions. Um, and I think, like, the kind of the most promising, it seems, avenue is a process called, like, precise fermentation. Um, and it's basically, it's kind of like making beer, but instead of making beer, you make like different kinds of proteins. So it's a, it's a really, yeah, interesting process of taking, um, like the kind of, I guess, like the raw material that goes into animals and like us and growing it, but not growing it using animals, growing it using kind of lab equipment and scientific equipment so yeah it's it's all about like the kind of like it's industrial scale brewing and yeah like when I've listened to like podcasts about it and read things about it they always they do seem to compare it to brewing beer but in a 
really interesting way. So it's like single-celled organisms specially designed to produce particular compounds, which basically means that you can tailor make them to produce any kind of like protein, um, such as, yeah, like proteins that might form like a steak or uh, like dairy milk, essentially. So that's my understanding of it. Um, and you might be able to add to that, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, not not too much. Yeah, and no, I think yeah, we're definitely not really breaking down the science on it. I guess it's more just saying how we feel about it as vegans. I think a lot of people have that question of would vegans eat it and that kind of thing, and we, we might get onto that. Uh, but more talking about it from uh, an animal liberation standpoint, more than a scientific perspective. And, and yeah, I didn't have too much more than that. Yeah, that's sort of my understanding is sort of like growing the animals using cells but not actually yeah not not farming actual live animals um and yeah you have recently attended a conference which um yeah has, has got you thinking about uh, this issue uh so yeah do you want to talk a bit about this conference you attended and, and sort of what you've learned or what how it led you to think about lab grown meat yeah definitely so it was really interesting because the conference was actually the oxford farming conference so it's kind of the one of the biggest, maybe the biggest farming conference in the UK. And most of the people attending the conference are like animal farmers um, in some way, shape or form. It's not like from the kind of reading the room um, or the Zoom room, um, there was much more like higher proportion of people who were involved in animal farming rather than other kind of farming. Um, so... There also seemed to be quite a few environmental and animal activists in there as well, being kind of sneakily behind the scenes, which me and some other animal rebellion people were doing to kind of learn what is the conversation, what's happening. And the really interesting thing and where the interesting thing came up is there was a lot of panels about farmers, like different generations, and they were talking about the problems that the industry are facing, but where the kind of the things that are relevant to us came in is that in the the two most, I guess, um, prestigious speeches, I guess. One is the Frank Parkinson lecture, which is like all of like the lecture is traditionally is all about the future. Um, and another is the Oxford science lecture. So that's about kind of, yeah, breaking down the science and looking for the future of the science um, of farming. And that in both of those lectures, um, that's where the topic of lab-grown meat came up. So it was a really fascinating kind of conversation and quite unexpected, actually, because in both instances, these people who are really highly respected in the farming community, um, one is our John Alkington, who's known as the godfather of sustainability um, in the farming kind of world, um, and he talked about like the need to move to regenerative systems um, and talking about like, yeah, like the need to move to like a new normal, a new way of working. And I, and that's, he really brought up in that, like the need of disrupting the cow is how he put it. So kind of taking away the dependency on cows in the farming sector. And he brought up, yeah, precise fermentation or lab grown meat. Um, as being an innovation for the future, which he sees as really exciting, immensely exciting was the words that he used. Um, and also in that, when he was talking about this potential of lab-grown meat and it being grown without animals, one of the things he ex like explicitly said was that it's a really positive step for vegans, which 
as he said, a lot of young people are these days because it takes away the animal welfare question. So I think it was a really interesting thing to see that conversation being had in kind of the influences of the animal farming community. Um, so it really made me think as well about how this is a, a kind of a point of a point of connection and like shared common goal between like the animal rights community and the farming community potentially um, because it was brought up yeah in both of these lectures and also what was brought up was the need for this is a quote as well a complete radical system change in the food system so yeah it was a lot of um a lot of really kind of positive ideas but also brings up kind of questions as well about how this this technology interacts and sits within kind of an animal liberation framework and how if a technology technological shift can facilitate and lead to kind of a moral and cultural shift as well yeah, and I think that is quite interesting that that uh, messaging actually sounds fairly similar to Animal Rebellion messaging, <laughs> this radical shift and, and acknowledging increased vegan and that kind of thing. And I, I guess just on, on a side note, um, yeah, when we hear the word farmer, I think many of us even who are vegan ourselves think of animal farmers specifically. And often we yeah. have, you know, like farmer groups criticizing, you know, plant-based alternatives, animal products, even though the plant-based alternatives were also created by farmers. And I think that's one point I'd raise. But also, yeah, again, sort of on a side note from this conference, do you think from the, the speakers that they were... Uh, um got some interruptions from my dogs which i think is uh fitting for our show yeah i was curious to know whether you feel like the speakers were aware that there were animal and environmental advocates there and so they were sort of talking to a more public audience or whether they felt like it was more of an insider space and maybe spoke more frankly what do you think about that yeah i definitely wonder about that because it's also i think it's a different kind of game when you're on like online conferences as well but I definitely noticed that um, questions were popping up in the chat um, in the kind of Q&A panel which were all um, which were, a lot of them were focused around this question of using animals and food and there were you know questions about um, do the kind of the speakers see animal products as being a part of like diets in the future um, there was a, one question which really stood out to me, which was, you know, lab-grown meat is a massive threat to farmers. Should we be embracing it rather than fighting against it? And, like, I did notice that there wasn't much interaction with the question. So I'm, I felt like what they were saying there was, and there were kind of, there was a lot of, like, in their talks, they were being quite careful in some instances. So it seemed like it, seemed like it was a controversial topic. Mm. Um and like there were some things that came up in the science lecture which like some quotes that i wrote down is like whether you like it or not moving towards a more flexitarian or vegetarian diet is the best thing you can do if people are eating healthily they'll be eating less meat um so some really kind of explicit things but i think for the most part um it was like a farming lecture and like um, even there was like a lot of people at the conference and even kind of scuttling through, it was like, yeah, like the odd person, you'll be like, they don't seem, they don't seem to be like, they don't seem to be a farmer, but 
um, I think primarily, and also because it's such a prestigious farming conference, it seemed to me like it was quite, quite an intimate portrayal of like the internal conversations, but also, yeah, like it's always going to be a little bit more outward facing. But I did think one thing that I did think was very interesting was that the conversation was very different between like the panels of farmers and between these kind of, I guess, like expert voices. Um, you know, not saying that the farmers weren't experts in their own kind of field, but like like the science lecture and the, like the lecture about like the future and like futurism, that was a very different tone to them. Um, so that was an interesting as well. Like to me, it kind of represented that there is and this was mentioned as well in a lot of the talks that there is a stubbornness um, and kind of a, a feeling of like not wanting to change. Um, and like, whereas like even though the kind of influences, I guess, in like the more scientific arena are talking along different lines and about the need to change, there seemed to be a bit more of a and adapt again, again, instead of like um, like change, system change, it was more like, okay, we'll adapt and we'll do things slightly differently from like the farming community. So I thought that was quite interesting um, to see the difference there. Yeah, and I guess bringing in the animal liberation standpoint to this issue, uh, certainly myself, I've always objected to it from an animal liberation standpoint, even though... I would, you know, obviously if less animals killed us better than more, but it's certainly nothing I'd actively support or embrace or, or eat myself because um, at least up until the point where I'd been researched, actually a couple of years ago, I was interviewed about this issue for a TV show, although it never went to air, but uh, in preparation, I did quite a few, uh, quite a bit of research on the topic. I, I think it may have been 2018 or 2019 around then somewhere. Um, and yeah, at that point anyway, um, yeah, I objected to it because there was the harvesting of animal cells to produce um, the meat. Um, and there was also blood from fetuses of slaughtered pregnant cows as well involved in it. And so, yeah, even if there was less, I certainly couldn't embrace it from that point of view, particularly when there are, you know, plant-based alternatives to meat that are, are not, you know, directly killing animals at all. Um, but actually just before we went to it, I had a quick look at the sort of more recent you know, developments around this issue. And there is an article from the 2nd of December, 2020. This is published in The Guardian uh, by Damien Carrington. We'll put a link to it into the notes. Uh, but no kill lab-grown meat to go on sale for the first time. Because when I was reading that, they are saying currently animals are being killed to produce lab-grown yeah. meat. But there is the hope in the future it wouldn't actually be required. Um, and so it seems like that is the case. So in this case, uh, this company in um, in Singapore, so no, produced by the US company Eat Just, um, passed a safety review by the Singapore Food a Agency. Um, but the cells um, used to start the process come from a cell bank. Uh, did not require the sort of a chicken because cells can be taken from biopsies of live animals. Um, yeah, the nutrients supplied to the growing cells were all from plants. Um, so, yeah, I guess with that development and I guess just more generally, yeah, what what do you think about this issue from an, an animal liberation and vegan standpoint? Yeah, so I've kind of been along like similar lines to you of being like, it's been a bit of a tough, tough point 
on occasions because I've always been quite like I wouldn't I wouldn't eat it and I wouldn't want to eat it. Um, but then there's also been the the question of like is this a really promising like step forward and should this be something we're promoting? But how can I kind of promote something that I'm personally not comfortable? Like it doesn't feel like it's um, sits within like my moral kind of framework. Like how can I kind of promote that to other people? And I think like for me the replacement of animals in the process like I'm still not very comfortable with the you know biopsies of live animals um because we know in the, this community I think that that means animals in captivity it doesn't mean someone mm. going out into the wilds and passing upon a chicken and happening to collect some cells so um I think the problems of like animals being raised in captivity and kept for human use is kind of a still a question and a problem there and I think like the point for me is is it going to get to a point where it's an, an entirely synthetic process where no animals are needed at all and in that case um I think it's a really promising area um my question and this is kind of where my discomfort lies um is in is it possible and I think I mentioned this earlier, like, is it possible to enact the psychological and like, cultural change around how we treat animals with purely technological change? Because um, we talk a lot about how the changing someone's, like, someone changing their diet, like, can lead to behavioral change and, like, thought, like a cognitive change. Like, you know, when they stop eating animals and they start to view animals as, like, individuals and sentient beings, um, but I'm wondering, like, if people are still eating animals, even if they're not actually coming from, like, a slaughtered animal, will that kind of change happen? And then will we see that change in society? And, like, for instance, in from what I'm seeing, the, like, lab is coming into play, like, mainly in the environmental sphere with kind of, you know, a bit of, bit of animal welfare, and I say that word intentionally tacked on, being like, yeah, it's good because we're not killing or keeping as many animals, but it seems to be like really kind of big in the environmental sector. Um, and my question, yeah, I guess like I have questions about, there's a lot of other ways that we use and exploit animals um, outside of food. And will this do anything to kind of like erode those attitudes towards animals are, are ours to use and to eat and to kind of, even if we're doing it in a more sustainable way. So I guess I have questions about that. And I guess like from a, yeah, from a purely environmental view, it seems like a move towards lab grown meat will be promising. Um, but I kind of agree that, you know, I think a move towards a plant-based system is the most sustainable and regenerative in the long run regardless and yeah I guess questions kind of come up around that of like are we just reinforcing this notion that we do need to eat meat hmm. and which we know we, we don't whether it's lab grown or otherwise yeah so. yeah definitely uh, lots of good points we better go to a song and then we'll continue the discussion on cultured meat after this song so um, this week is APRA week, which is all about supporting local artists. So we're going to start off with a song. Um, I was going to play on the show sometime anyway, but uh, it's a good one this week because it's by a local artist from Melbourne. This is David McCullen with Hear the Dogs Howl. 
and David describes the song as a tongue-in-cheek dog's view of how how humans uses the word dog. Um, and so, yeah, it sort of was very much about how when we use the word dog, it's always a negative thing, like a, yeah, unclean and bad and all these kind of things. So, yeah, I thought it was just a, a sort of a, a fairly light, but also getting onto some important issues about how we use often non-human animals associated with negative things in our language. And if you are interested in that topic, you can check out a previous episode we did on the show. Our previous Freedom of Species host, Emma, did that show all the way back in uh, October 2018 called Language and Animals and it's all about that issue. It's been a dog day afternoon Dog of a day He's a dog, it's a dog, every dog Put too much frog away This blaming the dog has been going on too long mm-hmm. Keep a dog a bone Leave us dogs alone subjected people seeking asylum to torturous conditions. The Minister for Home Affairs was supposed to care for them, but instead they suffered enormous physical and psychological harm. Now, those refugees are fighting for accountability and justice. On their behalf, the National Justice Project is taking legal action against the government for negligence and for breaching their duty of care. 
to support 50 asylum seekers in their fight for justice against the Minister for Home Affairs, please donate at justice.org.au. The National Justice Project is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. I am joined by Harley over in the UK and we're discussing the issue of cultured meat from an animal liberation perspective. And we heard the song Hear the Dogs Howl by David McCullen, a local Melbourne artist. If you enjoyed that song and want to hear that song again or hear other songs um, from David McCullen, you can check that out at djmcmusic.com. All right, so yeah, you raised at the end there just some points about this idea of, I guess, technological fixes to social justice issues. And yeah, I thought even also bring in like human rights or, or human social justice issues as well. Um, often like uh, lab-grown meat is sort of put as a solution to world hunger. Um, and I think that is an example where we sort of go for the technological fix overlooking the fact that we actually produce enough food for everyone to eat well around the world but it's more a matter of um, global inequality and the food not being distributed correctly so yeah I think sometimes there are these social justice issues we're like well these will accept these inequalities and then sort of try and do what we can with technology when while while I think we can embrace positive aspects of technology it's also important to deal with these fundamental social justice issues as well whether it is about humans or other animals so yeah i mean you've already made a point along those lines but anything more you want to say along those lines of these technology social justice issues yeah um i guess there's one so there was a report that was released quite recently which was about it was for like a uk report about like social attitudes about climate change um and it was a really interesting report i haven't finished reading it i'll admit but (laughs) the summary was really interesting um and one thing that came up in it, which I feel is quite relevant to this, is they, they mapped the areas of kind of commonality between between climate justice campaigners um, and the general public. And they also mapped the kind of divergent thinking and the different views. And one of the, the key differences that came up was this idea that was this kind of belief from the general public that, yeah, like they believed that they understood that climate change was happening now they understood that it was, you know, a serious problem that needed to be addressed. But they also understood that it, they kind of believed that it had a technological fix. Um, and this is something that, you know, in cli- like the climate justice space kind of was raised as quite a significant problem because if people believe that science is the answer, then they'll stop thinking that they can influence change through the government. Um, and I think it's almost like, yeah, like technological fixes have provided like a bit of a buffer between change and the government. It's like, oh, there's this problem um, and oh, don't worry, science is on it. Science is working it out and we just, everything will be okay. Um, we just need to wait for the science to figure it out. And it's like that idea that, you know, oh, science is on it. Science is doing it, you know, um, everything's going to work out. And I think it takes a bit of the responsibility of those people, like the elected decision makers and those people kind of in power who are upholding this system of, of injustice. And it's it's like taking that responsibility away from them and also from the people to kind of demand change and say, we don't want this. Um, so yeah, it's I worry about that a little bit 
while also seeing that these technological changes can make our job a hell of a lot easier because they take away some of the factors. Like some, part of me is like, okay, well, you know, lab-grown meat will come in, um, kind of these social and technological changes will happen and it will mean less animals are being killed. And that means that we can get to work on kind of the deep work of trying to address the supremacy narrative in society and unpack speciesism, but we just need they, those things will make that easier. So there's kind of a bit of a two sides to it in my head. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely true that I think, uh, yeah, once people are not eating animals, almost regardless of the reason, there is greater potential to be convinced by the animal liberation message, um, even though in itself it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have that, you know, that that is inherently just because you're eating uh, plant-based products. Um, And I I guess while we're talking about like social justice issue as well, um, from a more human perspective as well, um, there is the issue of cost for lab-grown meat as well. Um, So yeah, they admitted in this article again from theguardian.com that we've been referencing, uh, they were saying it's, um, yeah, it is currently much more expensive, this um, cultured meat, but they're saying once it's scaled up, it will produce much lower emissions use less land uh and that it will it will eventually become um cheaper than uh, i guess conventional meat or meat from from animals um but i i guess like in getting back to your fundamental points of this sort of more dominant or more sort of ongoing problems of viewing other animals as food and the necessity of meat, et cetera. Yeah. I kind of feel like, well, already like a vegan diet, particularly like a more whole foods diet is already a lot cheaper. So it's like, should we be sort of investing our energy in that? Um, yeah. Rather than sort of going for this thing, which is currently quite expensive, but at some point might be cheaper as well when we've already got, um, when we've already got, yeah, lots of vegan products out there, including like not not cultured meat, but just like mock meat products, which are just purely plant based and are not like lab grown or cultured or anything like that, but are uh, increasingly realistic. And actually, I guess from me personally, which doesn't really matter because I'm vegan anyway, so it's, I guess it's not really aimed at me. But um, yeah, personally, I like Harley have no interest in eating it, even if even if there were no animals involved, that's like ethically that that is quite a significant like shift. If no animals are involved, I'm not sure if I'd have an ethical obligation to it, but I wouldn't want to eat it because yeah, already the uh, impossible burgers or whatever, I've tried one of those and it was too realistic for me anyway. So I don't want even more realistic myself, but that's more a, more a, um, yeah, more a preference than a, like an, an ethical objection. Um, you also raise that it doesn't, I guess it kind of, yeah, from an animal liberation standpoint, which, which as you say, hasn't generally been the main frame. It's often sort of just tacked on at the end of like, oh, but also better, I guess, if we didn't kill some animals. Um, but it kind, it kind of reduces that problem purely down to eating meat. Whereas obviously as vegans and animal liberationists, we know that meat is sort of part of the problem, uh, but there's so many other products that cause um, harm to animals, um, dairy, leather, etc. So if we made all meat, 
cultured even in that perfect situation where it doesn't necessarily involve killing animals although it does involve using animals which you pointed out and we, we often return to on the show this problem of using animals not just killing them um but yeah it wouldn't necessarily deal with all those other issues although there are also similar moves underway to get cultured dairy and leather etc as well so i guess that would be that there um those advocating it there um yeah, their solution to all that. Um, so yeah, all very very complex. Um, yeah, any I guess. Yeah, I think we'll we'll maybe move on in a little while to the freeganism issue. But is there anything you haven't got to that you'd like to say about the topic? I guess like yeah, like it's funny when you say um, not wanting to eat it because I think I've always said, and this is a stance that I think I still hold. Um, although I've always said it as a bit of a joke, um, is that it would just make it a lot more easy to rescue cats because, <laughs> because at the moment, like, my biggest thing is, like, I know some cats can thrive on a vegan diet, but it's a lot harder than, say, feeding dogs um, vegan. Um, but I'm like, oh, if there's lab-grown meat, then it takes away a bit of that stress of um, cats eating animals, but then that's another big conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think it's, like, it's a tricky thing because I feel like as a movement, we don't want to be behind the times. And if this is kind of moving forward as like a path in the future, and it's like, it seems to be quite a significant one that's opening up. It's like, if we're not, if we're not engaged in that conversation and we're not kind of part of that conversation, then it feels like it's going to happen anyway, in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess like that's a, that's a thing for me as well. It's like, where is that line between kind of like putting down like a moral boundary of being like, this is not, this is not a topic that is kind of in like, um, yeah, this is not kind of a topic that respects or reflects, sorry, values, um, et cetera. And whereas also like, and not being included in conversations that like animal liberationist perspectives should be in. Um, so I think that's like kind of an ongoing question for me. Um, like, where is that line between kind of stepping over into making those kind of ethical compromises, which we've seen, you know, water down the animal like rights, animal justice message in a lot of arenas, um, and also just being part of the conversations and moving into the future with the with like what is happening. Um, so I think like that's probably the ongoing question for me, and mm-hmm. finding that finding that middle ground. Yeah, and I think I definitely, it's not something I would particularly oppose. Like, definitely not, you know, I'd more focus on opposing, you know, the more traditional animal products. But also, yeah, I I think I am also a bit cautious about fully embracing it. Um, Yeah, like, and I think a couple of other issues as well that... um, that I haven't yet raised is the environmental side. So there's a number of studies showing benefits, but um, yeah, at least according to some criticisms, they're based on a not yet proven method of cultured meat growth and the need to provide the meat with artificial blood flow, oxygen, digestion, and nutrition uh, could potentially negate the environmental benefits. So yeah, again, I think there are like the, they're sort of based on, oh, this will be better for the environment, but maybe the, the full effects aren't necessarily known 
unlike veganism, which um, again, me, me and Adam of Freedom of Speciosa are going through all the literature on vegan diets compared to other diets. And there's a lot of academic literature, recent academic literature, comparing the vegan diet compared to other diets and shows that it's significantly better from, from so many different studies. So yeah, yeah, again, I definitely agree with Harley of, of being a part of that conversation, but also, I guess, also not putting all our vegan eggs or our egg replacer in this basket um, (laughs) and sort of getting sidetracked from the more ongoing issue of promoting veganism and and like plant-based products rather than uh, going down this road. Uh, There's also health issues, which I think are probably like less less perhaps ethical and more about individual sort of choice and preference. But that is another criticism. It doesn't necessarily solve the the health problems and this idea of like um, red meat being generally quite a dangerous product. The the World Health Organization, for example, has pointed that out. Um, And they can be made, can be modified to be more healthier. Um, For example, like the level and type of fat can be selectively controlled but then that is also going to interfere with the taste of the product as well so whether it would be desirable in those cases if it was made healthier so yeah i I definitely don't have a clear answer on it but uh yeah i think there there are still uh yeah a lot of questions to be asked and i think that um yeah, Harley's point on, yeah, not totally writing it off and not being a part of these conversations at all. But I think also, I think there's enough uh, enough sort of questions in there for us to not maybe fully embrace it as well as animal liberationists too. So um, we're going to move on to talk about freeganism after a song. And we're going to play a song which is all about uh, dumpster diving and that, and that kind of thing. So quite a relevant one. Um, it is by, I'm not meant to swear on this show, so I guess or on this on, on the radio, so I'll say Star Effin' Hipsters. Uh, the song is Dumpster to the Grave and the band name, but also the, the song itself does contain swearing. Um, so I've mentioned that too. And then after this, we're going to talk uh, a bit about the idea of veganism.
workers' answer to COVID. Capitalism created this crisis, workers can solve it. Like the sound of shorter working hours in secure employment with no loss in pay? A comfortable income for everyone. Taxing the rich? Jobs made public with workers in charge. You women who want to be free, just take a tip from me. Radical Women is launching this winning plan on the 8th of December at 7pm. Join others to take these demands into our unions and communities. All genders welcome. Contact Radical Women at optusnet.com.au. Radical Women is a 3CR supporter. Lasting delusion about children trapped in tunnels. That's how we got Aussie Q, it seems. And now everything else. I mean, now it's just a six-month pipeline from that to Australians who who, who live in this alternate uh, American fantasy land where they post about Donald Trump all the time. So its ability to via Save the Children stuff to get a whole range of different political persuasions in is what I found fascinating, you know. I talk a lot in the Aussie Q videos about how your auntie, she might not be that far right wing now but she might be quite left she might just be a spiritual hippie type but there's this broad appeal to things like save the children and great awakenings there's almost a hippie like quality to it particularly when you tone down the whole MAGA element of, of traditional Q and it's getting people in there but Q is not just a conspiracy theory is it it is this conspiracy theory that is meant to drag you right after a few months so your auntie's gonna be talking about make Australia great again in six months if she isn't right now listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. Um, me and Harley are talking about, we've been talking about cultured meat throughout most of the show and, and how we feel about it as animal liberationists and, and vegans. Uh, and now, I guess, from a similar point of view, we're going to be talking about the... Um, the issue of freeganism, again, from an admiration standpoint, but also as people who care about the environment and, and human social justice issues as well. Uh, so, yeah, I guess similar to the, the cultured meat issue for someone who's never heard of freeganism, how would you break it down for them? And I think there's different variations, but uh, what are we getting at here with freeganism? So how I understand it is, yeah, freeganism is primarily or only i think is the the goal of it to only eat food that you've obtained for free so like haven't paid for um so in a way like in a way it's kind of fundamentally like a stance against like capitalism and this idea that we should have to you know spend money that we're you know having to earn through this rigged system on fundamental human needs or animal needs that's just food so I think, you know, usually people dumpster dive, um, find food kind of like leftover, you know, table diving stuff, which is like going to restaurants and like getting like empty plates that food going to waste. So it's also a kind of stance against waste as well. And this idea that we throw away so much edible food in the world while people are going hungry. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think there'd probably be different levels. Like I'm sure many people who 
identify as freegans or do some of those practices like dumpster diving and, and recover whether it is food or old clothes um, not clothing like furniture and stuff like that like myself I've picked up you know office chairs and couches and stuff off the side of the road um, do those things but might still consume some products but sort of trying to cut back and mm. and yeah as you say this this constant cycle of production and consumption and and that might be often based around the negative environmental impact that has this constant use of the earth resources and could also be concerns around the labor practices involved but if we get it sort of secondhand we kind of it's already been done basically we're not necessarily contributing to that um, demand and I guess also particularly because I've been in vegan circles I think there's different sort of vegan variations within freeganism I think a lot of people identify as freegans like might buy animal products but also dumpster dive and, and get dairy ice creams if they find it from a, a shop throwing them out as well so I don't think it necessarily has to have a vegan angle but I guess because I've been in vegan circles sometimes people um, sometimes vegans will, will eat vegan if they're buying the product but if they find those dairy ice creams in a bin outside coals or whatever they will eat them because they're not contributing to that demand i guess so there's different variations but yeah that's what we're talking about like dumpster diving and, and um yeah sort of rescuing yeah food or or, or other products that um, would otherwise be thrown or out or even have been thrown out so yeah, I was recently actually asked my views on this, um, my thoughts on freeganism, and particularly, again, sort of more from a vegan angle. Uh, vegans who eat non-vegan food, if it's not purchased but will otherwise be thrown out, either dumpster dived or otherwise donated or found. So, yeah, I'll, I'll chuck it over to Harley first, like your view um, about this from an animal standpoint, but also feel free to bring in other issues like environmental issues and, and other issues as well. But, but what are your thoughts on freeganism? Yeah, so I've actually also been asked my opinion on this a few times and every time I, I get asked, I'm a little bit like, oh no. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a really worthwhile topic um, and I'm glad that we're discussing it. Um, but it's always a little bit intimidating. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a couple of dimensions to it. Um, and I think on all of them, I hold kind of different perspectives and I think like the, the number one dimension for me is kind of like I came into animal justice and animal liberation from a very purely philosophical and ethical standpoint and seeing that you know realizing that there is nothing that holds me above animals in any way and that there's that human exceptionalism and supremacy is a complete myth and that animals are just as worthy of lives and autonomy and freedom as me and that's how I kind of came into this so that has stayed really strongly with me meaning that you know the thought of eating or consuming animals makes me feel quite ill um, and also makes me just I think like I compare it to eating like another species who I do consider, who society does consider worthwhile. So like, you know, if I found a dead dog or cat in a bin um, who just happened to be kind of butchered in a way that made them, you know, appetizing to look at, like I wouldn't want to eat them. Or if I found, you know, human, um, it's the same. So I guess like from that point, like I feel like it's fundamentally like speciesist in that we would, only eat products that come from certain animals 
that are prepared in a certain way, um, which kind of, I think it reinforces the views of like, yeah, supremacy in society. Um, so in that sense, I'm really against it. And I feel like it's just, it's going to, yeah, just reinforce. And, you know, every kind of person who is like saying they're doing that like publicly, then that's just reinforcing these views. Whereas people who aren't a kind of just one part of slowly eroding this idea that it's, it's acceptable and normal and yeah, it's normal to eat animals. Um, and then I think there's the other dimensions. Um, and one of them is, you know, just hunger in general, like when we're hungry, when we're starving, I think, you know, our morals become second um, to kind of just fundamental needs. And, you know, it's, it goes back to like the very like idea of like, you know, not eating animals and like veganism, I guess, is always like as far as possible and practicable. Um, and I think like that's something that we wouldn't, we'd never kind of begrudge someone or say someone is a bad person or, you know, immoral or unethical because they're eating what's available in order to survive. So I think there's enough that like, that's one of the elements of like some people are, you know, dumpster diving or looking in bins because they're like living on the streets that they don't have the means to be like choosy about what they're eating. Um, and I think that's like a completely different element. Whereas a lot of the people I talk to who are kind of practicing freeganism aren't in that position and they kind of have the funds to go out and do shopping or they're choosing, they're choosing to do it alternatively. And they also, you know, are finding enough food or buying enough food that is plant-based to survive. They're not struggling. They're not kind of in a position of like, starving um and like i know a lot of friends who do dumpster diving and skipping as they call it and um like are kind of purely eating like plant-based food that they find and like there's a lot of fruit and veg thrown away there's a lot of bread there's a lot of kind of all that um kind of plant-based products thrown away so i think when it's not necessary i see it as being yeah, I guess I see it as being, even though it's not contributing to a need, sorry, it's not contributing to like a consumption. So maybe it's not kind of leading to that, you know, restocking in the shops. I still see it as being part of that system of, well, this is something that, this is someone that's okay to eat, whereas someone else wouldn't be. Mm. So, yeah, um, I think that's like that. I know that's my stance on it and like I would never feel comfortable doing it. Um, and I would always like feel a bit uncomfortable having those conversations and having that conversation of, well, is this just something that you're doing because you like the taste um, and you don't want to give it up? Or is it like a necessity? Because I think it's a, it's a tough conversation to have because you don't know someone's circumstances and you don't know why they're choosing to like eat and live the way they do. So but yeah, like purely, purely from like my stance and like the way I see it ethically, I see it as being something that I don't support and I don't, I wouldn't personally go out and do. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel, yeah, very similarly. And yeah, I think obviously, yeah, there are those in cases of necessity. And as you say, like people have to do what they have to do in those situations. And I guess we're predominantly talking about people more doing it as a choice more than, yeah, a necessity because they are um, homeless or unable to afford food and those kind of issues. But I think even those who, who could afford to buy food, um, but are, you know, dumpster diving or whatever. Like, I do think there is a lot of validity to those ethics around um, challenges of capitalism and, and the environmental issues. And personally, I, I do think it would be better to environmentally um, eat a, you know, a dairy, you know, a magnum contained dairy that is being put in the bin outside coals mm. more so than buying a vegan magnum that that's new because again you're not so much contributing to that so i think there are uh, um yeah there are good aspects to it um but yeah similarly to harley as well with that animal liberation um and challenging speciesism and, and these hierarchies and i guess also as sociologists like these constructions that we have of that's a food animal and that's not a food animal i i would not do it or advocate it for for those kind of reasons and yeah i think it, it very much reinforced that you say like if, if our um yeah companion animal our cat our dog etc if they pass away we wouldn't think okay we're not contributing to demand let, let's cook them up but that would be a, a um yeah really just wouldn't cross our minds and that that to me suggests that maybe even though we're not directly contributing to their slaughter we are somehow devaluing those animals by eating them when we don't have to um, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the discussion around like eating so-called roadkill and oh we're not contributing to the demand they're already being killed and once again when um a human or, or even a dog a dog for example crossing the road we don't necessarily call them roadkill for a start we're like an individual has been killed this is really sad and we don't start licking our lips and thinking well we're not contributing to demand Let, let's eat this meal we're like that's sad how can we prevent this those kind of issues as well so yeah i think it really does um as much as there's a lot of really valid ideas behind it i think it does sort of reinforce these constructions that some animals are here for us to eat these sort of arbitrary constructions and others are not uh so-called food animals and i guess also on a more philosophical level like part of veganism is not contributing to that demand but part of veganism is also challenging speciesism and challenging these constructions so if we do eat that food we're kind of taking away from that message that actually we can be healthy and thrive without the consuming of animals as well. So I think we take away from that um, that sort of angle of veganism as well, um, again, for those who are in the position to buy um, plant-based products rather than dumpster diving animal products. So... Yeah, that is my um, two cents on it. Um, yeah, we're just about out of time. So, yeah, do you have any final thoughts on either topic you wanted to say that uh, you haven't got to or any plugs you want to mention for Animal Rebellion yourself or anything else before uh, we let you go on with your day? Um. Yeah, sure. So for those, well, just anyone listening, um. So yeah, I'm part of Animal Rebellion in the UK. I do um, story and strategy um, as well as some other random stuff. And we've been pushing out a lot of trainings at the moment. Um, um, I'm part of the messaging team. We're doing a lot of trainings on like strategic messaging um, and like effective messaging and kind of how to you know frame things in like persuasive and engaging ways. 
So if people like interested in that, as well as trainings on strategy and forming new groups and stuff, we have a a kind of a, a part on our website called the Virtual Village, which has a whole bunch of trainings and resources. So if you are interested, feel free to go to well, just animorebellion.org.uk, I think it is, um, slash virtual village, or just go to the website in general and check it out. And there's, yeah, a lot of really good trainings. Um, we've really been engaging with some questions about how our messaging and how we explain and, and use our messaging and also like how we bring more people in with the message that we're saying, which I think is particularly relevant now. A lot of us are online um, and trying to kind of still engage people and bring people in. The words that we use are really important because we can't be physically present in the ways that we used to be. So, yeah, you know, right. feel free to check that out. And, yeah. Yeah, and we'll put that up in the notes as well. Um, you can hear our show 1 till 2 every Sunday. Uh, listen live by 8.55am if you're in Melbourne or 3cr.org.au from anywhere around the world. Listen to all our previous shows via 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species, iTunes, Spotify, a bunch of podcast apps. You can contact us, info at freedomofspecies.org um, for email and also contact us on Facebook or Twitter. And also if you've got any yeah feedback on what we've discussed today or also any other topics you'd like us to discuss on the show, get in touch. Um, stay tuned for Encyclopedia for all things uh, related to drugs and drug use, drug policy, etc. Um, and yeah, we've actually um, we've got a bunch of new contributors to the show this year. So um, yeah, we'll announce them soon. So we we look forward to bringing you some new voices on the show, and I'm sure a bunch of new topics as well. Um, and me, Adam, and Harley will continue to um, yeah come up with shows as well throughout the year. Uh, we're going to finish up with another local band from Melbourne. This is Counting Backwards with the song Ice, which we're going to finish finish things up with. Uh, that's all we've got for today. Uh, thanks uh, for joining me, Harley. It's always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to chat. says, I need to change the colour of my The direction of a life Was it gonna take poor Deborah there? Now there's trouble with the law Her boyfriend's on the floor Saying Whoa Everything's okay Crawled away from loneliness and made it something similar to despair. People don't know how to be happy in the sprawl. It's a monochrome world, she says, black by urban malls. No trouble anymore. Just a mind that's born. The Deborah says, Whoa, now and then everything's okay. Rolled away from loneliness and made it something similar to despair. And the police and the planners and the teachers helped to take her there. 
loneliness and made it something similar to despair. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.